Good morning, my name is Ricky, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with the City Light family this morning. We've been going through the book of Ephesians and we're, we're halfway through and we get to see uh, how the, this Jesus gospel shapes and forms our church and uh, how, he, how we really are in Christ. So years ago at one of my former jobs, my, my car broke down, couldn't get it started, it wasn't going anywhere, so called to uh, have one of my, guy, my friends come help me fix it. He's like, hey, I can't today, but I could come tomorrow. So I don't have a car. I have no way to get around. One of my coworkers, she said, well, hey, you can use my car. And I was like, wow, you know, that's great. Thanks. Uh, are you sure about that? Yeah, no problem. You know, just, just drop me off at home and you could take my car. So I go outside, get in the parking lot, and she has a brand new GT Ford Mustang. And I'm like, Swain, this is the car you're going to let me use? Yeah, yeah, just use it. Yes, you know, like, this is cool. And so, you know, uh, you know, I'm driving to her house, and I'm really cautious and everything. Drop her off, thanks. You know, start driving. Hey, you want to make sure you honor the person because it, you know, it belongs to them. It's not my car. Um, so I'm really making sure I'm, I'm driving exactly the speed limit, you know, very aware of everything. But, I mean, after a while, that, that kind of starts to wear on me, and I start getting a little bit of an itch. Because this is a Ford Mustang, right? And the, the car necessitates a different response than me driving it that way, right? Like, my minivan necessitates me to drive it like a minivan. You know, what is the car for? Well, it's for me taking my kids to soccer practice and having Cheez-It crumbs embedded into the seats, you know? That's what it is. But this is a Ford Mustang. It, it necessitates a different kind of response because the car is, has a, carries a different kind of worth to it than my minivan, right? And so, you know, there's a couple stop signs. I'm like, all right, you know, hey, snow cone truck, you and me, baby, you know, you know, punch it a little bit, you know, not too much, but a little bit. But after a while, I'm like, nope, nope. This car deserves a much better response from me than that. So I get out into the country, and I'm just like, nobody's around, no cop, no stop. You know, boom, let's punch it. We're flying. And, um, you know, I don't know how fast I got, but, you know, like, uh, you know, it's definitely one something something. So, um, but I did that because, you know, again, that's the kind of worth, the kind of weight that the car carries, right? It necessitates me to drive it according to what it is. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the gospel, about this calling that we have in Christ. And now it's like, hey, because of its worth, because of the worth of our calling that we have in Jesus, it necessitates a response. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, and we're going to take a look at what kind of response does the gospel necessitate from us. So Ephesians 4... And again, just to kind of help you, as you read through Ephesians, Paul's been laying out in the first three chapters, hey, this, you know, our, our riches that we have in Christ, um, we've been made alive together with Christ. He is, we have been saved by grace. Um, we, he has called us, predestined us, redeemed us, forgiven us, all of these things. And then Paul turns this corner to application. Hey, because of that, this is what your life needs to look like. Um, and he moves from position, our position in Christ, to our practice. From our identity in Christ, now to activity. But, to, but to, again, to make sure that 
our position in Christ, who we are, what Christ has done, the gospel, that precedes us doing anything. Everything that Paul is laying out here is not, hey, do this so that God loves you, so that God accepts you, all that. No, it's not that. It's because you've been saved, because God has made you this new people, because you've been totally saved by the grace of God, now this is going to change your life. So in, in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, again, pointing back to everything that we read, because of what God has done, listen to what I'm about to tell you. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And, and he says, uh, again, just one thing to point out, when he says, I urge you, he's not just talking to you individually. He's talking to the Ephesians, right? The church at Ephesus. So this is kind of like him saying, like, I urge y'all. I urge y'all to do this, right? Um, you plural. Um, and y'all is probably one of the best words in the English language. Yes. Um, so I urge y'all to do this, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And, and because of the gospel, because of the wealth that we have in Christ, Paul is basically, the rest of the book is answering this question. What kind of people is God calling us, his church, to be? What, what are we, as his church, what are we to live like? What are we to look like? What kind of church does, does God, is God calling us to be? And so in response of the gospel, God is calling us to be a people devoted to the gospel. And so first point, first observation, the first C is this, is a call to unity. This is what we are being called to, called to uni, unity. And so since Christ has saved us, since he's, he's brought together Jews, Gentiles, people from these different um, ethnic backgrounds that didn't always really get along, I've made you one people united in me to display who I am, my manifold wisdom of God, now let's live like it, right? I'm calling you to be united as my diverse church. And I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, hey, because of everything I've said, therefore, obey the law. Therefore, make sure that you follow this list of rules and, and check all this checklist. He doesn't point us towards that. Again, he's pointing us to like, hey, because of that, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of it, of the gospel, of the calling to which you have been called. Not, not to get acceptance, not to get salvation, but because that is what Christ has done for you. And now many times I, I, I think we can fall into this trap of thinking that the gospel, you know, Jesus came, he died, uh, paid the price for sin, and was resurrected. I think we think that is kind of this thing that helps us get into heaven, helps us be saved or forgiven of our sins, and then we just kind of move on from it. That, that, that it doesn't really affect the rest of our lives. And so many times we have this separation of, of the gospel and how we live our daily lives. And scripturally, that just isn't accurate. Because didn't, Jesus didn't just save us so that we can go to heaven. Or he didn't just kind of save our soul or save our heart, but he saved us completely, like my whole life, 
not just this part of me that, that goes to heaven, but all of me, my whole life, my whole being, that is what Jesus has saved. And so there is no separation from my relationship with God and the rest of my life. It is totally, like, it's, it's all affected because of my relationship with Christ. To live is Christ, right? Paul says that in Philippians. And do we have to perform or, or, or obey well enough for God to love us? No, we don't. We're not saved by how good we are, but we're saved by how good God is and what he has done for us. But I do want to be clear here. Jesus didn't come, die, and raise again from the dead so that you and I won't be changed. He didn't die, pay the price for your sin, for my sin, so that our lives would be the same. Because if, if we were once dead in our sin separated from God, and then now have been made alive by Christ, together with Christ, we no longer act like dead people, right? We no longer act like we have that separation anymore. He didn't save us so that we could be the same. And so, again, what kind of people is God calling us to be, his church? A new people a different people, a people that is changed by God's grace. Because of the the gospel, we're to be devoted to the gospel and live according to the gospel. Because, see, the gospel motivates us. I am saved by his grace, so I don't have to live for the acceptance of people. It motivates us, changes every area of our life every single day because of what he has done. And, and also, I think that there's many people in churches today that are kind of tricking themselves into thinking that they are actually saved. Hey, I'm saved because I've been baptized. Hey, I'm saved because, hey, I'm a pretty good person. Hey, I'm saved because, yeah, I think Jesus is real. I'm saved because I don't really do any bad things. But let me just ask you, a question, or for you to ask yourself a question, do you have any real affection or love for Christ in your life? Is there any desire in you to know your Savior more? Is there any desire in you to follow and obey God because He's actually changed you, because His Spirit actually lives in you, is indwelling you, and is moving you towards Him? Or again, do you just think like, well, yeah, sure, I'm saved because I prayed a prayer once. And yeah, this is tough, but me as one of your pastors, I don't want anyone in here to actually think that they're saved when they're really not. I love you enough to at least have you think about it. Hey, do you really know Jesus? I'm not asking you, do you really obey Jesus well enough? Do you really know Jesus? Or are you just kind of playing around? Church is a terrible hobby. There's plenty of other things that would be just kind of seem more cool to do. But is is there really any affection for Christ? Is there any desire to change because of what Christ has done for you and because of what he is doing in you? 
And does that mean that we always get it right? No. I don't always get it right. I sin. As a Christian, there have been times where I've thought about a sin, known it's a sin, and then did it, knowing it was sin, knowing that's not who, what Christ has called me into. But then I confess that sin, I repent, yeah, I don't make light of it, but I come to my Savior and to be like, hey, this was wrong, this was sin against you, I'm asking you to forgive me. And actually, I would say that the, the more mature, the more that I've grown in my relationship with Christ, actually, the more often that I do repent and turn away from my sin and turn to God, not less. I'd say that that's actually a sign of maturity. It's not just like, hey, I sin less and I'm a better person, but actually you see, start to see more of how your life, how even just maybe the inner parts of your soul, your heart, your mind is not matching up with the person of Christ. And the more that you come and, and you come confess that to God, you do repent of that and turn away from it. And the more that you see, man, I'm so dependent on Jesus and his righteousness. And so we, we, we hopefully see this change in our life. It's real. This is what the gospel moves us towards. But again, it starts with the gospel. Paul, in the first three chapters, is pointing us, hey, this is what Christ has done. This is the wealth that we have in him. This is who he's made you. He's made you alive together with him. He's brought us from different backgrounds, all these things together in himself. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, let's live like it. Let's live differently. And so... When he says, hey, to walk in a manner worthy, I mean, that word walk, he's just saying, hey, let the, the conduct of your life, how you live your life, walk differently, live differently, because your life should look dra- drastically different now that you have Christ. But I want you to notice something in this. When it says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have, the worth isn't on us. He's not saying, hey, you get worthy, you be worthy enough. He's saying the worth is the calling. The the worth is on the gospel and what Jesus has done. Going back to to my illustration with the Ford Mustang, I was wanting to drive the car a different way because of the worth of the car, because it is built for speed, right? It's not me being a worthy driver. It's the worth of the car and me responding to the, the car, And so it's the same way with the gospel. The gospel, our calling in Jesus, that's the thing that has infinite value. That is the thing that is worthy, and it necessitates a response from us. And so Paul is just saying, hey, walk in a way that's in accordance with this amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing that we have in the gospel. In Jesus Christ, it's the thing that is worthy. And so that's our our first C, is our calling to unity. First point. So second point, second observation, the second C is to continue in unity. Continue in unity. Let's read verses 2 and 3. And so, hey, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
We're to continue in unity, maintain it. We don't create unity. That's already been created by Jesus, right? He's brought us together. But we are to continue in it, to maintain it, to strive for it. And, and, and this and really the rest of the, of the book of Ephesians is, is not just about this personal relationship that we have with God, right? Do we get a personal relationship with God? Yes, and praise God for that. We can know him personally, intimately, deeply, but God did not primarily call us to have a, a personal relationship with God. He's called us to have a communal relationship with God. Us. Again, I urge y'all to walk in a manner worthy. Not just you individually because of your personal relationship with Christ, but because y'all have a communal relationship with Christ. God has made one new people in his church. This is the body, the church, the people, the family that he has died to create. And in light of that, Paul says this, and I want you to underline it, circle it, eager. Be eager to maintain this. Go after it. Pursue it. Guard it. Strive for it. Now, what does this unity look like? Because, you know, a lot of people might look at the church today and be like, that doesn't really look like unity to me. I mean, all of these denominations that churches have, that seems pretty divided. And, and I would say, I don't think the problem is that we have different denominations. Do we? Yeah. But I think the problem is our attitude towards each other. Many times we, we, we feel like we're competing against other churches. Or our, our attitude towards them is just not, hey, we're unified in Christ, but it's just how badly they're getting it wrong. Right? You don't do things our way. And I, I just want to encourage you, City Light is not Jesus' answer to reaching Lincoln. Jesus is Jesus' answer to reaching Lincoln. Right? And Jesus is working through lots of churches. His church, Big C Church, not Little C City Light. All of us. And praise God for that. If it was all on us to reach Lincoln, I would be like, uh, what? <laughs> but praise God, there's, there's lots of good churches. I mean, if a church is, is actually preaching the gospel, is pointing people to Jesus, then fantastic. There's lots of great churches. I mean, F Street Church, Grace Chapel, Berean, New Cove, Faith Bible. Praise God, and there, there's more. Thank God for them. And are there different denominations? Yeah, but we're unified by the gospel, by Jesus. And maybe we could do some service project together, but that's really not going to bring us all in unity. Again, I don't think the problem is different denominations. Even if we were one denomination, I think that would solve our problem. Because... Paul here isn't saying, hey, just everybody believe the exact same way, baptize people the same way, and have every, you know, this belief system totally in common. 
on Husker game days on, on Saturday, again, love Husker football, you could go there and you were in this crowd with 90,000 people, right? Most of whom you've never met. And we all, we all kind of like, we're all unified in wanting to see the Huskers win, right? And, and we kind of say the same thing, go Big Red, go Big Red, you know, and Husker power a million times, right? And we're hugging each other, high-fiving, yeah, I don't know you, ha-ha, yay, we scored, <laughs> right? But when the game ends, we all leave, and I do not have to think anything about treating anybody in that entire stadium differently because of Husker football. It's a belief system, but I don't have to love anyone in there because Husker football does not call me into that. It doesn't require anything of me. And we cheer, but we leave. And is your communal relationship with God, you being in the family that Jesus died to create, is that like a Husker football game for you? We come on Sunday, we cheer, we sing some songs, maybe you give somebody a high five, and then we leave, and the rest of our week is totally unaffected in how we treat each other. Now, are those things good? I mean, is it great? Is it, I mean, is it such a big blessing that we do get to come, that we do get to sing together, that we, we get to listen to God's word together and take communion together? Those are all wonderful things. Praise God for those things. But Jesus is calling us into something more, not just having this common belief system, not just showing up for us an hour on Sunday but saying, hey, I want the body, the family that I'm creating in you to actually love each other, to treat each other differently, and to be eager to continue in the unity that I've created. We pursue it. We strive after it. And I just want to tell you, if you are not invested in a community, like living in community, living in a family, or if you're not pursuing that, then you really are not living in step with the gospel. You are not living and pursuing the calling that God has for us. We're not being the church that, that Christ called us to be. And for, and for us, the way that we do that is city groups. And you might be thinking like, well, yeah, Ricky, you're going to tell me to get in a city group because you're the city group guy. Yeah. I'm not calling you to be in a city group. We are not encouraging you to be in a city group because, hey, that's just something that we offer. Or we just thought you guys would really like it. We're calling you to be, to be this family and to live like it. And hey, let's get in a city group to start to live like the family that Christ died to create. Why? Because the Bible calls us into that. We see it in the word of God. And if you are not pursuing that, or if you're just like totally saying, no, I'm not going to get in that, you're not living in step with the gospel. You're not living in step with the calling to which Christ has called us into. I've called you into this family, my family. Let's live like it. And hey, I get it. There are tons of reasons why this is hard. Tons of reasons. Man, I got a busy schedule. Yeah, 
I, I totally get that. We all have busy schedules. But I think the body of Christ is worth it. Yeah, I think that the calling of, of God that he has for us is better than your schedule. Hey, I'm an introvert, and I don't really know how, what to say to people. Hey, I'm an extrovert, and I don't always know what to say to people. So just stuff just keeps coming out, you know? <laughs> and then people, you know, you know, sometimes our city group will look at my wife, and I'll be like, so am I talking too much? She's, she's like, yeah. Um, um, and that's okay. But, but again, let's, let's pursue that. Be eager to maintain it. Or if, you're, or if you're not wanting to be in a city group because you're a little afraid, like, man, am I actually going to be exposed because of what's going on in my life? Hey, all of us are messed up. Welcome to the family of God. Right? Just hop in. Because, again, what kind of people is God calling us to be? What kind of church does God call us to be? To unified people, a family. Be eager to maintain it. Strive towards it. This really isn't an option, but God calls us into this because it's for our good, for his glory. So how do we do this? How do we live this out? Because we don't always, like living in unity, being unified isn't always easy, and we don't always get along with everybody. And so Paul, in in verse 2, he lays out these character qualities, these virtues, and says, hey, if you want to live in unity, this is how you're going to live this out. This is what's actually needed to live this out. And so the first thing that he says is with all humility. Now, humility isn't thinking less of yourself or thinking poorly of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Okay? Don't think so much about yourself. Right? We tend to focus on what we want, what I'm doing. But humility is saying, hey, be looking out for the good of others. At camp, I used to work at this camp in college, and we had this phrase, and it was called, I'm third. And so it just meant God first, other second, I'm third, right? Those, those are, I'm first thinking about God, thinking about other people, and I'm last. I'm third. Put others ahead of yourself. Don't focus on you. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what will come in, in, in the way of this, this humility, is, is pride, where we, the focus is on us. And pr- pride I th- usually tends to look something like this, more than you, right? I know more than you. I make more money than you. I behave more like Jesus more than you. Or, or, or maybe it's like, well, hey, I don't do that bad thing. You know, I don't hurt people like you. I don't treat people like you. And so it's just this pride thing. And so a few questions that I just have for you guys to be thinking about is, you know, hey, how, is, how am I doing in this area of humility in my life? Do you seek recognition? Not that you don't like recognition or, or that you don't like to be appreciated. I'm not saying that, but do you seek recognition? Or are you thinking it in your mind just like, man, I so want people to recognize how good I am at whatever. Do you put others ahead of yourself? Do you serve others? Are you looking out for the interests of others? Or when you do serve somebody, when you do put others ahead of yourself, in your mind, are you just thinking, man, I'm really good because I do that? 
How well do you take correction or do you look for growth? So Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. You know, I was having lunch with somebody <clears throat> this past week. And, there, you know, there was, it wasn't like this big thing, but it was, there was this area in, in this man's life. You know, it's like, hey, this is, this is an area of growth. And, you know, I'm, we're, I'm talking to him about it and everything. But he responded in such humility, totally open to whatever advice or correction that I had. And even just said, like, man, I'd love for you to help me in this. And this is coming from a man who is older than me. Probably knows his Bible better than me. Incredibly wise. And yet is saying, hey, I want to grow. And I'm open to, to whatever advice, correction you have in this. Great example of humility. The next characteristic that, that Paul points to, say, you know, says, hey, if we're going to be eager to maintain in unity, we're going to need this as Gentleness. So don't be quick of anger. Don't be quick to anger. Being right doesn't mean that you can be vicious or mean. And also, gentleness doesn't mean that you never avoid or that you never enter into conflict, right? If you're kind of reading that, you're like, oh, gentleness, that means I just look over everything. That's not what it's saying. Sometimes you really do need to enter into conflict and, and you know, call people out on, on sin or correct them with something, um, you know, and we don't always agree, but, but you do it with a spirit of gentleness, not in anger, not in just showing somebody how right you are, because your idea is like, hey, I love you. I want to help you. Next one is, is patience bearing with one another in love. So this idea of patience and, and kind of this idea of long-suffering. Because let's just admit it, right? And I think Paul's kind of saying this, you know, hey, if you want to maintain unity, sometimes church people stink, right? Sometimes it's just like, oh my gosh, that person bugs bad, man. They're so annoying. Maintain unity by just creating some space and not being around you because I don't like you. But, but Paul's saying, hey, be patient with one another. People, yeah, sometimes have their weaknesses. We all do. But be patient with one another. Be long-suffering with them. Have this idea that you want to understand what they're going through. You want to still walk with them in these things. Because I just want you to remember, all of these qualities, these character qualities that Paul is pointing us to, we have the best example of all of these qualities in Jesus Christ and really what he has, again, done for us. Why can I be humble? Well, because Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and died for me. So I, if he can humble himself like that and pay the price for my sin when he committed no sin, surely I could be humble towards someone else. Hey, he, hey, be gentle. Don't be quick to anger. Man, Jesus is that way with me. If he was just so quick to anger, so quick to react, man, I'd be hosed. But Jesus is gentle with me, patient. 
Jesus is incredibly patient with me. I continue to mess things up. I continue to sin against him, and I don't always get it right, but Jesus is patient with me. He forgives me of my weaknesses. And if he can do that for me, then, hey, I can do that for others. And so, you know, just the recap of what, what Paul's saying, hey, I've, you know, these seas, I've called you to unity, and now I've to continue in unity, that's the second C. And so the third point, the, th- the last C, is the source of our unity. Now, I know it's not, I know it's not a C, but hey, we, we, can, be, we can be dorky, right? So um, it's what I had. So source of our unity, um, <laughs> it has a C in it. Um, so uh, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you're called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. I think Paul's kind of saying something here. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So in this, again, just this oneness. What, what is the source of our unity? What is the source of this oneness? God. And really the Trinity. He, he, he talks about you have one spirit, one Lord, and that's referring to Jesus Christ, and then one God, our Father. The Trinity, three persons, one God that lives in perfect unity as the triune God. That's our source of unity, but it's also our example of unity. We're to be a reflection of who God is, and and that is who unifies us. Not our and and if if God is the source of our unity, then politics isn't. If God is the source of our unity, our views on gun control are not. Our age is not. How much money we make is not. Our ethnicity is not the source of our unity. Jesus Christ is the source of our unity. He has made us this, this goofy, diverse family. He is the source of our unity. And so we are one body, right? But Paul is just saying, hey, these are all the things that, that unite us. One body. Right? We're all God's people. His church. Different backgrounds, different things, but we're united as one church. One spirit. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in me. Right? We're unified in that. One hope. We all have a common hope in Jesus. When you and I come to Jesus... You have nothing up on me, and I have nothing up on you because of how well we behave. Our hope is not in what we've done. We have nothing to bring to the table. Our hope is totally in Jesus. One hope that we have together. One Lord, that's Jesus. He's the head of the church. He is our Savior. He is the one that we are following. One faith. Again, we all have this common trust in Jesus that he is the payment for our sin, and he is the only way to God. One baptism. And this isn't referring to, to water baptism. This is talking about this, this common oneness that we have in Christ. If you look at Romans 6, it's we've been uh, united with Christ in his death. We've been united with him in his resurrection. And so we, we're now identified with Christ. It's that baptism. And also this, this baptism of bringing us into one body. And so 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. You're identified with Christ, now you're identified with his family. One God and Father. 
we're, if you've trusted in Christ, we're all adopted by our Father. And if we're all adopted by Him, then we're all part of this adopted family of God. Our unity doesn't come from us, but it comes from God. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus, if, if you're just kind of wondering about this whole Jesus thing, you know, maybe one of the reasons that you haven't trusted in Christ is because of the church. Because maybe just somebody has burned you. Maybe you just look at the church and you're like, man, they don't really live like this. They don't really live this out. They don't really love each other. And I'm not going to try to pretend that that didn't happen or doesn't happen still. But what I do want to encourage you with this is, is if you really don't know Jesus, don't let a broken person hinder you from knowing your Savior. Our faith is not in how good we are. We know that we're messed up. That's why our faith is in the one who isn't messed up, the one who has paid the price for our sin, the one who is completely perfect, completely good, Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Jesus, you can't be good enough. You are messed up. And so I just encourage you, trust in him. Don't let anyone else hinder you from knowing how amazing, how good the love of Christ is. And if you have trusted in Jesus, if, if you're following him, I want, you, I want you to hear this prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. Verse 21, he says, this is, so this is what Jesus is praying to God the Father. He says that they, and he's talking about the church, the believers, all believers, that they may all be one. How do I want them to be one? Just as you, Father, you, and, you are in me and I'm in you. I want them to be one like you and I are one, that they, may, that they also may be in us. And I want their unity, their oneness. What do I want that to do? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. Church, my prayer for us is that God would be answering this prayer in our midst. That we may be one. That we would be one just like Jesus and the Father one. That we would be loving each other, confessing sin to one another, praying for one another, serving one another, bearing each other's burdens. That we would treat each other completely different and I would, we would walk in humility, be patient, be long-suffering with one another, be gentle with one another. Why? Because Christ has done that for us. And that as we really walk and be eager to maintain the unity that Christ died to create, and as we really love each other, that the world would see something different. And we see, yeah, some of these people are pretty messed up. But gosh, look how they still have this unity. Look how they love one another. So that the world may know Christ. And today we get to take communion. And, and this bread symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken for us, and, and the juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And we get to do this in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, that he's paid the price for our sin, that he's, by his grace, he's united us once we were far off, but now he's united us to himself. But also we don't take this individually. We get to take this as a family of God, to know that 
Jesus has united us together as a family. And so that's why we get to take communion today, just to remember what Jesus died to create, the family of God. Let's pray.